All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, I trust and hope that you guys had an excellent uh, Thanksgiving and ate, um, you know, 5,000 calories on Thursday. Um, but I'm glad that you guys are here this morning and that we have a little bit of time to uh, worship and to hear from God's Word. Um, and uh, and uh, I don't believe that it is an accident that we are gathered uh, together this morning. There are, you know, lots of people from our church family who are who are traveling and who are out of town and coming back to town and all those kinds of things. But I don't believe that it's any accident that we're here um, together this morning to hear from God's Word and to meet with Jesus. Um, so last week, we kicked off our Advent series, The True Tall Tale is what we're calling it. Um, and we started with the first uh, 17 verses of Matthew and and we talked through Jesus' genealogy and some different things from there. But one of the things that I emphasized over and over, and uh, Ben actually made fun of me for, it's okay, um, is that over and over I said the story matters. The story means something. The story has power. And uh, last week, if you were here, you'll remember, you know, just as an example of stories that have power, I referenced Star Wars and how the new um, Star Wars movie is coming out in a few weeks. Well, this past week, for the first time, I introduced my daughters to the original three Star Wars movies, um, and it sort of overtook our life since this past Wednesday. Um, we watched um, New Hope and uh, Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back this week, and so uh, there's not five minutes that's gone by in my house since Wednesday night that we haven't had questions about Star Wars and Darth Vader and why he looks that way and all those other kinds of things, but stories have power. And uh, this Christmas story, the story of Advent, it has power. And so last week when we talked about this, I laid out three very clear points from the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. I said that Advent matters because God did what he said he would do. Advent matters because it's a true story, a true tall tale. Advent matters because Jesus changes everything. And as a result of these things, if you'll recall, I called you to believe the story, to repeat the story, and to tell others the story. And this week, we're picking right back up where we left off last week with the idea that the story matters, that the story has power, that it's not a Christmas fairy tale, but that it's true, that it's real, that it happened, and that there's power in the story because of Jesus. So... Let's pray as we get started. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be present this morning. God, thank you that this past Thursday we were able, hopefully, together with family and to celebrate and to be together and to be thankful um, and to eat a whole lot of food. But God, thank you now that we have the opportunity to be present this morning together, um, to hear from your word, to sing together, to take communion together, to pray together, to meet with you. God, over the next few minutes as we read through your word, as we talk about um, your word and what you would teach us from the book of Matthew, God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would make Jesus big, um, that you would lift Jesus high, God, that we might be drawn to you through Jesus, um, and I pray that you would receive all the glory from that. God, I pray that you would use me simply as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel and of your love, that... Jesus would be glorified, that we would receive the joy, and that our hearts and lives would be changed because we met with Jesus in this place. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 
Let me ask you a question as we get started and before we look into the first chapter of Matthew this morning. Have you ever had a a super vivid dream? A dream that you wake up from and sort of go, what was that all about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Just a weird, vivid dream. I rarely remember my dreams. Scientists tell us that we all dream every night and I hardly remember them ever. Uh, But when I do, they're crazy Um, So years ago, whenever I was younger, I played basketball in high school. Um, I would dream like these entire basketball games at night. Like I was a TV announcer and I was announcing the entire basketball game. That's just, that's a weird, it's okay. And and then I was just announcing to a TV audience this basketball game. These days, when I remember my dreams, they usually involve snakes. I don't like snakes, and so for whatever reason, if I dream about snakes, I wake up and I'm terrified. I actually remember having this one dream about a snake trying to attack me through a um, screen door. It's really weird, super vivid. Um, but the other night, I had a, a really vivid dream that was, just, that was just weird. And in this dream, that there was this guy that I work with. His name's Gary, and uh, Gary's an interesting character anyway. But I had this dream that Gary began having an argument with another guy. And the argument just started escalating, right? And um, I remember as a part of the dream, uh, there was one part of the dream where Gary, like, jumped out of the ceiling down onto the top of this guy's head, and they started fighting. That's, I mean, it's strange. I- I'll give it to you. Um, and it, the rest of the, the dream was just them going back and forth and fighting one another and trying to one-up one another. Uh, and it sort of ended with the other guy burning Gary's house down. And for whatever reason, I was there, and, and my buddy Gary looks at me and says, that's what happens when, and then I woke up. So I never got to finish the rest of the dream. But I woke up, and, you know, I laid there for 30 minutes going, what in the world? That's just unbelievable. It's weird. It comes out of nowhere. And that's essentially what happens in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It's the story of Joseph the husband of Mary, having a dream that is unbelievable, that is out of this world. If you will flip there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'll read it um, for us, and it might be on the screen in a second. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In the book of Matthew, in these passages, what we have here is the story of Jesus' birth sort of moving along from Matthew, I mean, from Joseph's perspective. If you turn over and you turn to Luke and you read about um, Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem on a donkey, the story is told more from Mary's perspective than it is here 
in this first chapter of Matthew. But what we have here is sort of Joseph's perspective and what happened to Joseph when he found out that Mary was pregnant. And the dream that Joseph has here, if I can say it, is pretty unbelievable because an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, your wife is pregnant um, and she's been faithful, but she's still going to have a baby. Uh, That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, even in um, 2,000 years ago, people understood how babies Uh, were conceived and how babies were born. And so it's unbelievable that this angel appears to Joseph and says, uh, Mary's pregnant. She's been been faithful to you, but she's pregnant and she's going to have a child. And so let's unpack this passage for a minute before I dive into the meat of it. But but first, let's talk about this. Uh, Let's talk about what betrothal was, because the passage in there says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Um, If Mary and Joseph's marriage followed the traditional norm of their culture and society, uh, the betrothal period was a time when a young man and his fiancée would essentially get legally married. But during that period of time, they were not allowed to live together or to sleep together, um, to live together as husband and wife. Uh, One of the reasons this custom probably existed uh, was this, is that during this period of time, we don't know if this happened with Joseph and Mary or not, Uh, But usually the family of the groom would pay the family of the wife uh, of the bride a dowry. Um, And so one of the reasons this custom existed was to make sure um, that the girl was pure and that she was not pregnant uh, before the time the marriage could be consummated. Now, that's patriarchal and it's one-sided, I know, but that's just the historical nature of it, the the culture and society that, that this happened within. And, and, and so in this culture where marriages were arranged and the groom's families paid a dowry, there was just an expectation that this year was going to go by and we were going to make sure that everything was okay before they could um, consummate the marriage. But in every other way, other than living together and sleeping together, during the betrothal period, um, the bride and the groom were considered to be married. And during this betrothal period, Uh, Mary ends up being pregnant. And Joseph was going to divorce her because legally he could, according to the law. Uh, Joseph was going to to divorce her, but he arranged to break off the marriage quietly without causing Mary any more harm than was already going to befall her. Um, Joseph was being a good dude about it all and, uh, and decided to just end it quietly. But before he can do that, That's when this dream happens. That's when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, and he essentially tells Joseph these things. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. The Holy Spirit is the one who brought about this pregnancy supernaturally. She's going to have a son. This son will save his people from their sins. And Scripture actually says that his name is going to be Jesus. We'll talk about it in a minute, but that name literally means God saves. Um... His name is going to be Jesus, and this child is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy about God living among you, uh, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this passage tells us the story of 
Joseph understanding about Mary being pregnant and about the baby being born and the whole purpose of this baby's life. And in addition to Joseph finding out what's going on here, it's much bigger than that. This passage lays the foundation for some hugely important Christian doctrines um, that, are, that, that are vital to our faith. The virgin birth, the incarnation of God, the deity of Christ, all of those huge doctrines are incredibly important, and, and we'll dive into some of those just briefly in a moment. Uh, overall, here's the direction we're going to move forward with with this passage, though. Knowing everything I just told you, here's what we're going to dive into. Essentially, Advent, the Christmas story, the miraculous story of Christ's birth should remind us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God with us, that even when Jesus is with us, things will rarely go according to our own plans. And finally, Jesus changes everything. That's going to be a recurring theme over the next few weeks. Jesus changes everything. If you would, look with me again at verse number 21. In verse 21, it says this, You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel essentially says to Joseph, his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. Jesus' name in English is an English transliteration of the Greek word for Joshua. Uh, the Greek name for Joshua was a transliteration of the Hebrew name for Joshua. And the Hebrew name for Joshua is a combination of two words that means, like I said a second ago, God saves. So Jesus' name literally means Yahweh saves, God saves, the Lord saves. Why does that even matter? It matters because right after the angel tells Joseph that Mary's child's name is to be God saves, he tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. All right, don't miss that. He doesn't say Jesus will save God's people from their sins. He says he will save his people from their sins. In the place where you would expect to hear God's name, you hear something else. You hear the angel telling Joseph he will save his people from their sins. So what Matthew does right at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, right at the beginning of the story, he makes it very clear to us that Jesus isn't just a person. Jesus is God. He says Jesus is God come to earth with a human nature to save people from their sin. Paul affirms this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, when he says this, So the risen Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's a quote from Isaiah 45, 23, where Yahweh is the one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Right here at the beginning of Matthew, right here at the very beginning of the story of Jesus, right in the introduction of why Mary is pregnant and what's going to happen, the angel of the Lord reminds Joseph and reminds us that Jesus is God. At Christmas, we want to talk about um, Santa. We want to talk about happy things. We want to talk about fairy tales. We want to talk about gifts. But in the book of Matthew, when Matthew introduces us to Jesus, he introduces us to the fact that Jesus is God come to earth 
as a person. And moving on from verse 21, if you jump straight into verses 22 and 23, this is what this passages say here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a quote from a prophecy that was given to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it's actually kind of a strange prophecy. Let me tell you just a little bit about it. This is a quote or a prophecy that was originally given to King Ahaz in Judah sometime around 700 AD when the armies of Syria were about to attack and destroy the kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Ahaz was wicked and he feared that God would not come to save him and would not deliver his people. But word came through the prophet Isaiah that God was not going to allow the kingdom to be destroyed because God wanted to keep his promise to Abraham, the same promise that we referenced last week at the beginning of Jesus' genealogy. And Isaiah tells Ahaz that God is going to give him a sign that he's going to come through. And the sign was this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the word virgin in the Hebrew language could literally mean one of two things. It could mean a girl who's never had um, sex with a man before. It could mean a girl of the age to marry. And in the context of Isaiah, everyone probably thought they were just talking about a girl who was of the, of the age to marry. And so someone in Ahaz's household had a baby, and that was a sign, and God did what he said he was going to do for Judah. And it was probably pretty unimpressive of a sign at the time. But with Jesus, Jesus changes everything. He turns the world upside down. And through the angel of the Lord, God says to Joseph, this is actually what I was talking about. It's not just that a young woman will conceive, but a virgin, the other meaning of that world, of that word, will conceive and have a baby. And in that miraculous birth, I will deliver Israel from all their sins and fulfill my promises to Abraham. Ahaz was thinking about deliverance from an invading army. God here, through the angel of the Lord, says to Joseph, Jesus, God, come to earth, will deliver his people from all their sins, from everything, from all the evil that could overtake them. Jesus is the one who fulfills that promise. And so in that moment, Joseph would have seen that God was faithful to keep to the fullest all the promises he had made. The times looked dark. It looked like Israel would be overrun by their enemies, even in Joseph's time. But God took an obscure prophecy and brought ultimate fulfillment through it in the person of Jesus, the God who was present, the maker of the moon that was present with his people and a little baby named Jesus, the, the maker of the moon that was present to save his people, not from afar, but to actually be with his people, God with us. Not to do it any other way, but to come and to do it himself, to be present for his people. The story matters, and these names matter, right? 
It's not a coincidence that the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, his name's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be with his people. His name is Jesus, God saves. His title is Emmanuel. He's with his people. These names matter. This story matters. When the angel of the Lord tells these things to Joseph, he's telling them just these huge, incredible truths. It matters what the angel of the Lord is saying here, and I don't want us to miss that in the midst of a Christmas season when it's easy to focus on other things. Um, My daughter, Natalie, is nine years old, and uh, she's going to be 10 on December 20th. Uh, So just a little uh, less than a month from now. And uh, Amy and I tried for years to have Natalie. Uh, I didn't know she was going to be in here this morning, but she's sitting over there uh, with my wife. But we tried for years to have um, Natalie. For for two or three years, uh, Amy was not able to get pregnant. We weren't able to conceive and uh, have our first child. And so by the time that Natalie, or by the time that Amy was able to get pregnant, it was with the help of some uh, reproductive medicine that we were able to, um, to get pregnant. And when Amy finally got pregnant, we found out that uh, Natalie's birthday was going to be Christmas Day, uh, which is kind of cool, right? If, if y- your daughter's due date is Christmas Day, it was, it was a big deal. Um, it was an emotional time anyway, right? Because we, we uh, had been trying for years to have, have a child, and we were finally able to get pregnant. Um, and Christmas is kind of a weird time for me, or at least in the past it's been weird. It's not so weird anymore as I've gotten older. Uh, but my father actually died on Christmas Eve in 1983. And so Christmas time is just a weird time of emotions, right? Uh, and so we found out that Natalie was going to be born on Christmas Day, or her due date was Christmas Day. Um, and somehow, I don't even remember the story of how we decided to name her Natalie. Her name is actually Natalie Christine. Um, and so after we chose the name Natalie, uh, I was doing a little bit of research um, uh, about the name and looking things up. And we found out that Natalie's name literally comes from the Latin word for Christmas Day. I mean, literally, uh, her name comes from the Latin word for Christmas Day. Her name, even when I say it, reminds me of something precious, right? Her name reminds me of Christmas, which is the time when Jesus came to earth as a child to save his people. Her name itself reminds me, uh, it reminds the world of God's precious gift of himself to us, to be with us, to save us from our sins. Names matter. The story of Christmas matters because Jesus' very names, Jesus, Emmanuel, they mean something. They mean that God saves. They mean that God is present with his people and that he came to do something that no one else could do you can't think about the christmas story you can't think about advent without understanding that jesus came with a purpose he came to be with his people in order to save his people and i don't want us to miss that in the midst of this holiday season and so jesus is god And Jesus is God with us. That's one of the major themes of the book of Matthew. You'll see it throughout the book of Matthew. Over the next few weeks, we'll be going through the first couple of chapters of Matthew. Uh, Then we're going to take a break for a few weeks. And in the spring, we're going to kick back up with the 
with, um, with Matthew chapter 3 and move on through the Sermon on the Mount and some other things that happen in Matthew. But, but over and over in the book of Matthew, you see um, that a major theme is that God is with his people. So Jesus is God, and Jesus is God with us. But even when Jesus is with us, things will rarely go according to our plan. Have you ever wondered why the Christmas story had to play out the way that it did? Have you ever wondered why it had to be so difficult for Mary and Joseph? Why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? Why couldn't it have been done differently? The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin was probably a really big inconvenience to Mary and Joseph. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Their lives were forever changed and their, rep- their reputation in their family and in their community and in their society was more than likely tarnished to a great degree. The angel of the Lord showed up to Joseph. The angel shows up to Mary and other, you know, in Luke. And, and we see about how Mary finds out uh, about her child, how Joseph finds out about her child. But the angel of the Lord didn't show up to everybody else, Right? He told them. He didn't show up to their families. He didn't show up to their friends. He doesn't show up to their village where they lived. He doesn't show up to anybody else. And their lives were forever changed and their reputations were tarnished because of this. God didn't send out a news bulletin to everybody explaining that Mary wasn't crazy, that she wasn't impure, and that Joseph didn't violate God's law. Everyone else from that point on probably thought of Mary as somebody who acted impurely and as Joseph as somebody who acted impurely as well because he actually marries Mary in the end of all of this. Um, Premarital sex in our society doesn't really carry the stigma even that it used to when I was in high school. When I was in high school, which... I'm 40, so, you know, 25 years ago, when I'm in high school, if there were girls who ended up pregnant, they, they actually went away, right? They didn't stick around in school. That was just the high school I was at, I know. But uh, it, it was a big deal just 20 years ago. It's probably not as big of a deal in our society now. But in this society, in this culture, it was a huge deal. And so their lives were forever changed. And God didn't come to Mary and ask her if she was okay with this, right? God just said, this is what's going to happen. So their lives were changed because of it. Can you, can you imagine how awkward and weird the conversations were between Joseph and Mary when Joseph first found out that Mary was pregnant, but the angel of the Lord hadn't come to him yet to explain to him what was going on? Can you imagine how awkward that would be, how weird that would be, how tense it would be, and the conflict that ensued from it. Now, when Joseph married Mary, it would have seemed like he was confessing that the baby was actually his and that he was a part of what was going on here. This pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in the community more than likely. And the narrative of their marriage and the narrative of their wedding probably didn't go the way they had it planned. Just because Mary lived 2,000 years ago and Joseph lived 2,000 years ago, don't assume that they were vastly different from anyone else today. Their dreams for their life and their wedding and what was going to happen from then on out were shattered and ruined because of Jesus. Because God said, Mary 
you're going to bear Jesus. 2,000 years later, we know that one of the most foundational doctrines of Christianity is that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Born of a human, Mary said that he was fully man, but he was virgin born. Mary's pregnancy was generated by the Holy Spirit, so Jesus was fully God. But again, why might it be that God chose to do things this way? Uh, I looked this up this week and, and studied some things this week. Um, you know, we can say, uh, it's easy to say God had to be fully uh, God in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He had to be fully man in order to understand our temptations and understand uh, what life is like in order um, to be the sacrifice for us on the cross. But uh, here's some reasons I found from some other scholars this week as to why things had to happen this way. Uh, To begin with, it highlights the supernatural. On one end of Jesus' life, his supernatural conception and birth. On the other, his supernatural resurrection and his ascension to God's right hand. At both ends of the story, the God-man's authenticity was attested to by the supernatural working of his father. Secondly, the virgin birth shows that humanity needs a saving that it cannot bring about for itself. The fact that the human race couldn't produce its own redeemer implies that its sin and guilt are profound and that its savior must come from the outside of the human race, must be God himself. That's what Matthew tells us in verse 21. Thirdly, in the virgin birth, God's initiative is on display. The angel didn't ask Mary about her willingness. He announced, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. God doesn't ask Mary for permission. He just acts gently but decisively to save his people from their sins. Finally, this virgin birth hints at the fully human and fully divine natures united in Jesus' one person. The entry of the eternal word into the world didn't have to happen this way, but it did happen this way. Wayne Grudem, who's a theological scholar, says this, God in his wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother. And his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, is God who saves his people. Jesus is God who saves his people as he's with his people. And even though Jesus is with us, things will rarely go according to our plan, but that does not mean that God's plan is not at play. It does not mean that God is not bringing about his purposes. It does not mean that God is not at work. The story matters because God chose to mark the coming of his eternal son, his specially anointed one, with an extraordinary birth. And the story matters. It matters. Mary and Joseph's life didn't go according to their plan, but God was at work. God was doing something And that something was bringing into the world himself through the person of Jesus to save his people and to be with his people.
So in Matthew chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is the God who comes to earth to save his people. Jesus is the God that comes to earth to be with his people. That even though Jesus is with us, things don't always go according to our plan. God doesn't ask our permission to do things the way he wants to do them. He acts. But finally, let's not forget that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Just by his very presence, Jesus changes everything. The story of the advent, the story of the coming of Jesus to earth, it matters. It's a story of God doing what he said he would do, a story of God fulfilling his promises. It's the story of God coming to earth to live among his people, to save his people. It's the story of Jesus turning the world upside down and changing everything, even the very course of Mary and Joseph's life, just by the fact that he was born. But look at how this passage ends. Look at the last two verses of Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph recognized the very authority of the child being born to Mary. Mary and Joseph are the only two people to ever raise a child older than themselves, right? And Joseph recognized that something special was happening here in the very presence of Jesus and Joseph's life, the very authority that Jesus um, had as God come to earth as a child. Joseph recognized what was happening And it led Joseph to do something that he originally wasn't going to do. He married Mary. He named Jesus what the angel said. And he raised Jesus as his own child. Okay, don't don't miss this, right? Joseph raised Jesus as his own child, but he didn't even get to name Jesus, right? That authority was taken away from him. That authority belonged to him to God and God alone. But even, even though Joseph married Mary and made it, made it seem almost as if he was the cause of Mary's pregnancy, which we know was not true, Joseph did what he was told to do by the angel of the Lord. He named the child what the angel of the Lord named, told him to name him, and he raised Jesus as his own child. And the very presence of Jesus changed Joseph's life, changed his life. We don't hear a whole lot more about Joseph after the Christmas story uh, in scripture. Um, We don't really hear anything after this. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph and, and when he died and how long he lived and what occurred after the beginning of the story here. But we know that Joseph was changed because of Jesus' presence, because the angel showed up and told Jesus what was, I mean, Joseph, what was going to happen. One of the major themes of the book of Matthew is that God is present with his people. We'll see it over and over and over. We see it clearly in this passage because Jesus is God and Jesus is Emmanuel with us. It's the major point of Matthew 
chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 here. Jesus is God. Jesus saves. Jesus is with us. It's all over these verses right here. And we see that Jesus' presence with his people leads his people to boldly develop a relationship with Jesus that leads to obedience. Obedience doesn't lead to a relationship, but the very relationship, the very presence of Jesus leads to to obedience, and that's what we see in the life of Joseph. That's what we see in the life of Mary. Despite the fact that their life was changed, the very presence of Jesus led them to be obedient and to do what God was asking them to do. If you would, uh, indulge me and flip over to Matthew chapter uh, 28 and look at verses 18 through 20. They're a passage that should be pretty familiar to you if you've been uh, around redemption for any length of time. We talk about this a lot. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 1, verses 23 says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't think it's any accident that Matthew's gospel begins with the statement that Jesus saves and Jesus is with you. And Matthew's gospel ends with a command to make disciples as Jesus is with us. Jesus came to earth with a purpose. Jesus was born for a reason. Jesus was born to save his people inasmuch as he was with his people. And if that's true, okay, if this story is true, and I believe it is, a true tall tale, if God came to earth as a baby named Jesus, if God came to earth as a baby named Jesus to be with his people, if that's true, then it's a story worth retelling. It's a story that the world needs to hear. As a matter of fact, it's the most important story that the world needs to hear. Matthew's gospel opens with an announcement that God is present with his people through Jesus and that Jesus is going to save his people. And Matthew's gospel ends with a command to make disciples inasmuch as Jesus is with us as we do that. I don't think those two things can be disconnected from one another. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have the promise from Scripture that God is with you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the command from Scripture to make disciples and the promise that Jesus is with you. Those things are connected for a reason. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. This story has power. If the story of Jesus is true, if it's a true tall, st- true, tall tale, then it's an awfully powerful story. It matters. And it needs to be told and it needs to be proclaimed. And so in as much as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we should, 
Inasmuch as we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the one who saves, as Jesus is the one who is with us, even when life doesn't go the way we expect it to, inasmuch as we celebrate that Jesus is with us, the very fact that Jesus is with us leads us down the road of telling others. The story has power. The, the power in the story is the fact that Jesus is present. The presence of Jesus is what leads to that power. And so if this story is true, if this story is real, if it's a true, tall tale, then my call to you this week is exactly the same as it was last week, and it's going to be exactly the same next week. I'm calling you to believe this story. I'm calling you to believe Jesus. I'm calling you to faith in Jesus, because Jesus saves. I'm calling you to repeat this story to one another, even in the midst of this Christmas Advent season, in your homes, in your families in your missional communities with other believers that you associate with repeat this story talk about this story read the story from scripture understand this story and i'm calling you to tell others about this story the story has power and those people who don't know jesus need to know jesus and in as much as jesus is with us It leads us down the road of making disciples by telling others about this story because Jesus is with us. We're going to move into a time of response like we do every um, Sunday here at Redemption. And as we move into a time of response, I would ask you to uh, just spend a few minutes reflecting on what uh, I've called you to this morning through the story of Jesus, through the story of Jesus' birth. And as we respond, uh, a few things are going to occur at the same time. The band is going to come up in just a second and continue to lead us in some songs and give us the opportunity to worship through singing, uh, by singing together. Um, while that's happening, uh, you have the opportunity to give. If you're a part of Redemption, there's a giving table in the back where you can worship through giving uh, to what God is doing here in Augusta um, through Redemption Church, but also through the different networks that we have and that we're a part of. Um, so you have an opportunity to worship through singing. You have an opportunity to worship by giving. You have an opportunity to reflect upon what God is calling you to uh, this morning through his word, through Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You have an opportunity to um, partake in communion this morning. Uh, We uh, celebrate communion here at Redemption in order to remember what Christ has done for us and in order to proclaim to one another that we believe the story, that we believe the gospel, we believe that it's true. Um, And so just in a moment, I would ask you guys as we celebrate communion for everybody to come down this middle aisle right here and uh, move in either direction to exit out that way. And in coming to take communion and in coming to tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice to remember what Christ has done and to recognize that by doing this, we're proclaiming to one another that we believe the gospel, we believe that it's true, that we believe that God actually did what he said he would do. This is what Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for the reminder from your word that you came to save us. God, that you came to earth as a baby to live and to die to save us. God, thank you for the reminder from your word that you are present with us. God, thank you for the reminder from your word that you change everything. And so God, in as much as we spend a few moments responding, singing, taking communion, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself. I pray um, that Jesus would still be raised high as our Savior. And that, God, you would draw us to yourself because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone. And God, we ask all this in the name of your Son. Amen.